everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. The New York Times announced last week that it will capitalize the B in black henceforth when it refers to black Americans. It's a switch that's meant to acknowledge the cultural significance and the singularity of the African-American experience in this country. Black is not just a descriptor of skin color in America. It's a word that captures the centuries-long quest for racial equality. Lots of other news organizations are making the same switch or debating it in the glow of the massive Black Lives Matter protests. One of the people involved in the decision at the New York Times is Deputy Managing Editor Rebecca Blumenstein. And for her, this is not the first time she's been involved in a debate about this issue. 30 years ago at the University of Michigan, Rebecca was the editor of the Michigan Daily when a semester of tumultuous campus protests about anti-racism and equality inspired that student newspaper to begin capitalizing the B in black when it refers to black Americans. Rebecca joins us now to talk about what's happening at the New York Times and what was happening in Ann Arbor 30 years ago. Rebecca, welcome to Detroit Today. It's so great to be with you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yes. So let's first start with what's happening at the New York Times. Uh, Talk about what inspired this conversation and how the decision was ultimately made. Well, there's no question that um, the the brutal killing of George Floyd and the subsequent protests have have ignited a, a nationwide discussion about race. And that's been happening around the country. It's been also happening inside many institutions, inside many newsrooms. And um, it felt like it was time to to really look at this more rigorously um, at the New York Times. I have to say that um, that other publications in the in the wake of these protests began began uh, capitalizing the letter B. Um, the AP actually changed its style book, um, and we had a very rigorous um, discussion within the Times. Um, and uh, there were pros and cons. Um, uh, including from people from color as well. Mm-hmm. But we decided that it was the best thing to do to really describe, you know, a culture um, uh, and a distinct group rather than a color. Yeah. Uh, talk about some of the other things that are being discussed at the New York Times. I mean, uh, this is the nation's paper of record and is covering the protests uh, like other publications in, in great detail. Uh, I, I, I get the sense that like our newsroom here at WDET or at NPR uh, studios in Washington, there are a lot of conversations about the way that we practice journalism and what it says about uh, race and racism in America. Well, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, the first thing is that we're not nearly representative of America. Mm-hmm. The Times has made some really big strides with diversity um, over the past few years. Um, you know, uh, our newsroom is now 49% women, 26% people of color, mm-hmm. but it's not nearly good enough, especially um, in the in the leadership ranks. Um, and And, you know, if you don't have a you know, a staff that fully represents the country, you're not going to be seeing and experiencing and and reporting the stories in, you know, in the appropriate ways. Um, And so, so it's really, you know, internally, there were, 
There's also been a lot of discussion about really listening to our employees, um, particularly uh, uh, reporters of color, um, you know, who who may have, you know, ideas um, that that they feel, you know, weren't weren't really taken seriously in the past, um, who may be seeing stories that others don't. And so it's a really, you know, it's like how much we evolve kind of our traditional way of looking into at the world to include, um, you know, different voices. Hmm. Uh, and the editor of the New York Times is uh, a man named Dean Baquet, uh, someone I have the pleasure to actually know. Uh, I don't know that most Americans or certainly most of our listeners here at WDET know that the editor of the New York Times is an African-American man and that uh, he's leading the paper at the time, at the same time that all of these really uh, difficult and complex questions about race and racism uh, are coming up and 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 inspiring conversation and decision making. Uh, talk about his leadership at this time at the Times. It's a, it's a very important point. I mean, Dean, I think is 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 a historic figure, uh, and and in many ways, I'm not sure his presence as the editor of one of the largest you know, most influential news organizations in the world is, is fully appreciated. Um, he grew up in New Orleans. Uh, he he went to college, actually proudly dropped out to become a journalist. He is, uh, and won a Pulitzer Prize uh, for the Chicago Tribune, has won them wherever he is. He's been the editor of LA Times and, and the New York Times now. And, um, you know, he's he's also in a, in a very odd and sometimes he says uncomfortable situation because you know he can he can sit and now we're all working at home in his apartment in uh, Manhattan. You know, leading one of the most influential news organizations in the world. But when he goes outside and wears a hoodie and a mask on his face, he knows that he's seen completely differently. Hmm. And um, you know, he he I think has has been very thoughtful about you know about race, of course, and you know has not. Um, wanted to, you know, he's come under some criticism over the past year for not using the term racist more and for some of his views of covering race as well. So so it's an odd position for him. But yet, um, you know, I'd also say that, you know, his, his mere presence is something that, um, you know, that makes us all incredibly proud. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And my guest is Rebecca Blumenstein. She's the deputy managing editor of the New York Times. We're talking about that paper's decision to capitalize B in black when it refers to black Americans. Uh, we're also talking about the fact that Rebecca was the editor of the Michigan Daily in the spring of 1988 when the student paper decided to do the same thing that the New York Times has now decided to do. Uh, Rebecca, let's go back. 30 years uh, and talk about uh, what was going on uh, in Ann Arbor on the campus of the University of Michigan in the spring of 1988 that uh, inspired you and the other student journalists uh, at the Michigan Daily uh, to take this same question on and make a decision that uh, that was at that time sort of out front in terms of uh, the way news organizations were thinking about it. Well, it was an incredibly intense moment uh, and a pretty ugly time on campus in Ann Arbor. There had been a string of of racial incidents, um, you know, flyers left in a dorm, an incident at a radio station. Um, uh, Perhaps, um, you know, one of the worst things was that a dean of the School of LFNA, the biggest school there, 
uh, Peter Steiner um, made made a really pretty uh, shockingly racist remark, um, you know, saying that um, Michigan um, should avoid becoming an institution where minorities flock in, in greater numbers, um, like Wayne and Howard. Um, and so there was an uprising about this. Um, there was a sit-in uh, uh, and... Uh, um, you know, the students actually asked the Justice Department to look at this. The president, uh, did, did, you know, uh, insisted that he wouldn't fire uh, Steiner. But in the middle of all this, there was also um, a serial uh, rapist uh, in Ann Arbor. And the police at the time um, uh, eventually released a composite sketch of the suspect. And the Detroit Free Press, the Associated Press, all of the papers around the area published that sketch. And so did the Michigan Daily. Um, I was the editor. It was my decision. But the the uh, the community um, in Ann Arbor, particularly UCAR, which was a, um, a you know uh, African American uh, uh, activist group, protested the daily, and um, and there was widespread condemnation of our decision to do that, and um, you know basically saying that we had made all black. Uh, men suspects. And and so these were all roiling around um, campus, and we tried to engage in a meaningful dialogue about what we should do uh, to uh, better reflect the community, because the race, the daily, you know, was not, was not representative either. Um, but it was really, uh, you know, it was really an intense moment in the middle of all this, uh, which we can discuss. Uh, the university decided to implement a code of conduct mm-hmm. to uh, to combat racist speech, but it really split the campus and paper into two in, in uh, a debate that very much echoes what's happening today, um, you know, at Facebook and other places, the free speech advocates versus those who, who want to do something to, you know, to take action against terrible speech. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there were moments um, when, when a lot of the criticism was directed at the daily, was directed at the university, and more broadly, you know, was rightly directed um, at, at just the the root of the problem, which is, you know, the the fact that the African-American enrollment at Michigan was then and continues to be a fraction of what it should be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about the debate inside the paper at that time about uh, capitalizing B when, when in, the, in black, when it refers to black Americans. This wasn't the only change that, uh, that took hold at that time. That's right. Um, we had been for the for the year or so before that, and I have to give credit to my former daily colleague uh, uh, and editor Amy Mendel. We'd been debating um, something called inclusive language, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know the very word freshman has the word man in it. Um, first baseman is is you know is is very descriptive and not inclusive, and. And this had been a debate that um, that was, quite frankly, another thing that was roiling the newsroom. Um, our sports staff, in particular, uh, was really against us um, adopting this language because they felt that it would it would hinder their ability to write about sports um, to have to put first base person in copy. Um, and and the the capital B debate um, entered in the in, in kind of the uh, later stages of this. We eventually, um, you know, uh, decided to ban the word freshman and allow some use of uh, of um, you know some of the sports terms only specifically. 
And compared to the inclusive language, I was talking to, to uh, um, uh, another uh, former editor last night, compared to the bitterness over the inclusive language debate, I think that all of us at the time, um, you know, there was certainly debate over the capital B and some of the exact same, I mean, the parallels, of the, you know, are just incredible to what we're, you know, talking about today. But, you know, uh, there were some of the same arguments. But at the end of the day, we just felt it was, it was quite frankly, more respectful. Um, and, uh, and there was not really any debate over, you know, capitaling the, the W and W. Um, it was a late night meeting. Um, there were a couple of passionate, uh, you know, uh, speeches, um, and like all daily meetings, you know, went till probably two or three in the morning, and, and we did it pretty quickly. Hmm. So, so talk about the differences between then and now. It, it's kind of interesting to me that 30 years ago, a group of students on the campus of University of Michigan were having this debate and came up with this idea of capitalizing B in black and and changing language in other ways in the newspaper to be more inclusive. And that it's 30 years later that we're seeing those same questions come up again uh, in, in professional news organizations. Uh, the, the echo is interesting itself, but the time between those two events is also somewhat notable. 30 years is a long time. Uh, how, do we, how, did we, how did we finally get to this point uh, in American newsrooms today? Right. I mean, maybe, maybe we all should have uh, pushed a little harder to carry on what we started at the Michigan Daily uh, right. 30 years ago. And I must also add, Stephen, that you were, you were a reporter as well uh, and uh, editor of the Michigan Daily who yeah. followed after me. Yes. So uh, you all know that, I mean, I think that part of what, what happened was that at Michigan, we didn't even really know what it hit us. Um, we did. We, we were very proud of the change we made, uh, you know, especially with the capitalization. Um, you know, there were there were, uh, you know, uh, subsequent efforts to, you know, pass codes on various campuses that were later ruled unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, editors come and go. Um, I think that the professional journalism world probably looked at what we did at the Daily and said, well, that's just the Michigan Daily. They're just, you know, uh, they're, they're nuts over there in Ann Arbor. Um, <laughs> what do they know? And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think that, uh, you know, it, it always, and, and I've, been, I've been thinking, I have, I have three kids now, and I've been thinking about what young people show us. And I think in many ways, um, young people do show us what the right thing to do is. I think they're showing us that now, mm. and um, and and quite frankly, like uh, you know, we should have paid more attention in the journalism world to what to what we did at the Daily thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also wonder what the reaction has been among Times readers to this this to this decision. Has there been any pushback? Uh, are there people who've maybe offered thoughtful insights uh, into this into this change and maybe suggested others that uh, that would uh, that would be more sort of culturally sensitive or appropriate? You know, I think that um, uh, what's been surprising is that the, the lack of reaction and vitriol about this, which shows you, quite frankly, how long overdue it, <laughs> it is. Um, we had prepared ourselves for a big 
a big uh, um, barrage of, of reaction in terms of, well, why aren't you capitalizing white? Um, huh. uh, and, uh, you know, we aren't because for, for several reasons, including white is used by, you know, uh, white supremacists. And um, it's not something that we, you know, really considered seriously. But we thought that there would be a big, a big pushback on that. Um, and there hasn't been. Um, you know, this is something that, that now, you know, Fox News has, cap- you know, asked uh, to capitalize the, it's just suddenly become, you know, standard. Um, I do think um, you're right. It, you know, there's always, you know, style books um, are things that are not meant to be, you know, uh, activists. They're meant to, to kind of recognize, uh, you know, uh, coverage and, um, you know, uh, and, and common usage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I think that there will be more uh, debates about about language. I think that this really makes it clear when you're talking about specific, um, you know, a specific identity, uh, people, a culture, it's better to capitalize native, um, Hispanic, uh, Brown is another, you know, term that uh, you know people are talking about a bit, but much that is that is much less distinct. And you know, but yet I think you are going to continue to see, you know, uh, because of the time we're living in, and I think I think the moment in which we're really beginning to re-examine how we refer to one another and what that conveys. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last. Rebecca Blumenstein, Deputy Managing Editor of the New York Times, was really great to catch up with you, former Michigan Dailyite. Always great to have Dailyites here on uh, Detroit Today, uh, but also great to talk to you about this monumental change at uh, the New York Times. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, and great great work on the show. I really enjoy it. I listen from here. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue to discuss language and how it evolves over time. Stay with us on Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for being with us. We're continuing our discussion of the move by countless news organizations to capitalize the B in black when referring to members of the African diaspora. The change is happening in a moment where calls for the truth about racial oppression that has long defined this country are growing. Joining us now is someone who has been pushing for this linguistic change for years. Lori Tharps is a journalism professor at Temple University. Professor Tharps, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So I want to start at the beginning of this issue. Uh, this has been a long-standing area of contention really ever since emancipation. Uh, in a piece that you wrote back in 2014, which is getting recirculated a lot recently, you wrote that it wasn't only black people who didn't know what to call the nearly 4 million newly freed citizens of the United States. The government itself 
fumbled its way through names, categories, and labels for black people. And by 1930, the Census Bureau offered just one of these categories, Negro. Why do you think this difficulty in labeling black people, deciding how to address us as a part of American society, um, uh, why do you think... Uh, why do you think this happened, and where do you suspect it, it, it comes from? Well, that's such a great question. Um, and I really think it's because, um, I mean, for the most part, you know, when you get down to it, the concept of race is a completely fabricated concept that was invented as a method of oppression, you know, to maintain a system of white supremacy. And I don't mean that to sound convoluted, but the reality is that you know, the idea of separating people by race, by some sort of kind of color-coded category, mm -hmm. was truly invented so that white Europeans had a justification for their oppression of Africans, you know, who they enslaved, for their the genocidal tendencies of Native American people, and, and eventually for their, you know, exploration and, you know, somewhat of, you know, colonization of, you know, the rest of the world that had people that were of darker skin tones. And so the concept was created, um, you know, well, let's categorize people by the color of their skin and the width of their nose and the texture of their hair. But they're really, you know, it didn't really work because, you know, there are people with dark skin in Africa, but there are dark people with dark skin in Asia, mm. right? So, so then coming up with names for, you know, these different people, you know, it, it was all kind of a, let's make it up as we go along. And that was consistent from the time we started saying, uh, or I should say that Europeans started trying to, you know, really come up with a concept of race, which is not really a thing because there's a human race. There's the, the difference between a Native American person and a black person and a European person, you know, that's not really a separate race. So even that concept doesn't even, you know, it's not real, right? And they struggled with that even, is it species? Is it race? Is it genus? You know, they were going to science, like how you differentiated an animal or a plant. So again, the labels that people had to come up with, well, do we, what do we call these people? Are they colored? Well, you know, natives are colored, too. Is it because they have color? Is it the melanin? And so that's the, the whole concept of what do we call people when we're trying to distinguish them by this made-up concept we have. It, it's never going to feel absolutely right because, again, it's a made-up concept, and then there's always exceptions, mm. right? When you look at, you know, the idea that they wanted to, okay, well, who was actually African once you started um, mixing races? Right then, well, who's really colored? And you know, then we had the idea of using fractions to label somebody as octoroon or quadroon and mulatto and all of these crazy titles. It, it just got confusing too, right? Mm. Um, so, so there was so much about trying to label something that didn't even have a true concept. That's where this confusion comes from. Yeah, there, there, there is something. Ironic, I suppose, about the idea of trying to come up with a dignified way, a respectful way to express something that, as you point out, is itself malevolent and malicious. This, this idea that, that there are somehow differences 
among human beings because of race is an invention, and yet we have spent a long time trying to dress that up, I suppose, by by talking about the ways in which we express those differences and what would be what would be respectful. Absolutely. And I mean, and then you have to, I mean, you have to recognize that, you know, we are a tribal species as human beings, right? And unfortunately, one of the first things that happened to African people when they were brought to this country to be enslaved was that they were, they were cut off from their tribes, from their people. Mm-hmm. They lost any connection to their actual, you know, who, who am I? What is my identity? You know, I am a Fulani. I am a, an Ibu. You know, I am, you know, from this particular country, culture, and tribe. There were many ways that Africans identified themselves, right? And it wasn't by the color of their skin, right? It was the same way any other group of people identified themselves, but they had been cut off from that, those identity markers, you know, as soon as they were captured and enslaved. So, but that, that being the case, people do want to belong. They want to have a connection to a group, a tribe that they belong to. And so, even though this, these, these names were kind of forced upon us for nefarious means, mm-hmm. there is still a desire to be a part of a group, to be part of a tribe. And I think once um, black people had some agency in identifying themselves, it, and I don't mean that post-slavery, because we know that there were free blacks, you know, kind of all along in this, in this conversation, and they too, you know, had conversations about what to call themselves because, again, identity is something we all want. We all want to be seen and belong to a certain group of people. Hmm. I'm talking with Lori Tharps, who's a journalism professor at Temple University. We're talking about the move by many news organizations to capitalize the B in black when it refers to black Americans. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us how you're feeling about these changing linguistic uh, dimensions, I suppose, of, of the news business. Uh, is this something you support? Uh, is it a little thing with a big message in your mind? Or is it a little thing that we ought not be making as big a deal about? Uh, how are you interpreting the messages around this capitalization discussion that we're having? And do you think it has too, too little meaning too late? Is it something that uh, that doesn't quite rise to the moment that we're having in this nation where we're really talking uh, differently about reckoning over race and racism and inequality. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Brother Ray, Brother Ray in Midtown. Ray, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey. Uh, this, is, this is extremely absurd on this position that the New York Times is leading this conversation's narrative in terms of capitalizing a, 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 a term that dilutes the slavery and any and all things offensive. When you look at the term black, how the connotation you know, associated with the word, we're, we're, we're father. This is this is completely foolish, ignorance. Mm-hmm. We filed a, we filed a, a civil complaint in federal court 
uh, June 19th, okay, and particularly to ban the use of that word in public media, NBC, ABC, CBS. To ban the use of the word black? Black, uh, associated to a people, Hmm. to American citizens. Okay, we are completely 13th, 14th, 15th, 15th Amendment American citizens. We are the true citizens, and we want to be recognized as American citizens, period. So, more, so Ray, less. tell me, tell me which term you you prefer. Americans, American citizens, just American. It. not black Americans, not black people, not black, not African Americans. Because when you watch the news and watch the media, it's confusing. Hmm. One journalist called calls blacks, the next one calls black Americans, the other one calls black people. Which one is going to be? Hmm. We're saying that all of them are obsolete. All of them delude to slavery. All of them are offensive nicknames to come up with a color scheme to describe people. Now, I understand that we are associated to tribes as tribal people, but it can't be black. Mm. There's no history that associated tribal people called black. This uh, is extremely absurd to me. Yeah, Brother and Ray, like I, I, say, we're, we're, yeah. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the call and that perspective. I think that's a really interesting way to, to, to think about all of this. Laurie Tharps, react to what he's saying. Is black, that word, when you associate it with people, itself an insult and something that we ought to be trying to move away from? I mean, personally, I, you know, I think the first thing I want to say is that, you know, I think identity and labels are very, very individual and personal. And I think that everybody should be able to call themselves whatever they want to. I mean, we let Tiger Woods call himself a cablation. Um, you know, that's a completely made up word. And if he wants to call him, if he wants to call himself that, he can. I'm not going to call him that. Um, but he can. He has the right to. And if Brother Ray wants to, you know, call himself or find himself better identified as simply American, I'm not going to tell him he has to call himself black. I don't think anybody should be forced to take on a label that they don't feel identified with. For all these years, I have called myself capital B Black, even though nobody else, quote-unquote, allowed me to, Hmm. but I did anyway. And as a writer who has written several books and, you know, published many articles, writes a blog, I've always capitalized the B, even if somebody said that's not allowed, Right. right? And I fought for it every time I could. I do take, I do think, though, that Brother Ray makes a good point in that, you know, and, and this is the problem with America is that, you know, by splicing us up as something different than just Americans, you know, it makes us seem somehow less than the people who, you know, should be credited for, you know, building this country. And I don't mean that I don't mean there should be a hierarchy like black Americans are better than white Americans are better than this or that. But I do agree that one of the things that is so problematic, you know, which is why, you know, the idea of Black History Month is problematic for me in Mm. the sense that, you know, by separating it, you're somehow suggesting that the contributions and influence and impact that Black people have had on American history is somehow separate than what is simply American history. Um, um, But I also know that, you know, white people, which gets into a different, you know, conversation, but white people have been given the benefit of being able to call themselves simply American. Sure. They don't say, like, I'm, I'm a white American. I'm white. They get to just say I'm American. And not only do they get to say it and claim it anywhere else in the world, 
when they walk around and if they claim to be American, people don't question it. And when they walk around the world, people even say, oh, clearly those are Americans. When you're an African-American or an Asian-American or a Latino, you walk outside of these borders and people say, where are you from? And what are you? And you say, oh, I'm an American. They don't believe you because we don't look like what is, quote unquote, an American. So I do recognize Brother Ray's frustration and his argument, you know, is I think is the principles I agree with in the sense that we should be able to claim American and be and be recognized as such and both believed, if you will. Um, we are as much Americans as any other, you know, group of people who have lived here, except the Native Americans who actually, <laughs> this is actually their <laughs> This country. is actually their land, right. Right. <laughs> That's right. But, um, but yeah. I don't find the term offensive. I don't find it, I don't find it that it harkens back to slavery in any way, shape, or form. I think that there is um, a sense of claiming and being proud of our darker skin. I mean, I think we all know that we're not actually the color black, right. but but to build a to to see a united connection over our black skin, our dark skin, our kinky hair, our connection to the African continent. I I don't see shame in that. I don't see negativity in that. And even the the idea of that we were an enslaved people, I don't see that negative for black people. I mean, I see that as a big old X, X on your soul for white people who mm. enslaved others. Mm. But for black people, I think our connection to slavery is a sign of extreme resilience and strength. Mm. So anything that harkens back to that, I, I don't see that as problematic. Anything that harkens back to um, Africa, I don't see that as problematic. And anything that puts front and center the beauty of our ebony skin, I don't think there's anything problematic with that either. Mm. I don't see blackness as a negativity. Mm. I don't see uh, connections to our unique and, you know, uh, our past as problematic. Yeah. So, so, so I disagree with Brother Ray in the idea that we should not be using the term but I do definitely see his point that we should be able to claim our American status without being challenged. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brother Ray, I really appreciate the call and the uh, perspective there. Let's go to Dennis in Dearborn. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning to you. Hi. I, uh, I, I thank you for this opportunity. I've never had a, a moment that kind of centers in so uh, so appropriately here. My question was just to talk about an article that I heard about or I read a few months ago about the use of the hyphen and in African-American, Asian-American, that there was an effort to, to drop that hyphen. And mm-hmm. in, intellectually, that hit me as, as being very positive. I, I listen to a, a lot of radio. I'm retired, so I'm trying to expand my thinking. And on other talk radio shows that I get, uh, like yesterday for one, the, the uh, caller came, came in and just had made the very point, American, that's all I want to ever hear. That's all I ever want to see. That's all I, I ever want to be told. That's mm-hmm. all I want to ever proclaim. And in that comes the question, okay, we're, we're a bunch of nouns, we're a bunch <laughs> of adjectives, but in that declaration of oneness, I find that it goes the next step of being exclusionary rather than inclusionary. 
Mm. Mm. Uh, Dennis, I, I I really appreciate the call and and the query there, uh, Laurie Tharps. When we talk about the hyphen, I think first we should make clear that that there's a difference between when you're using these terms as nouns and when you're using them as descriptors, right? And in journalism, right. Uh, right. when they are adjectives. We do use a hyphen for African American or Asian American or any other any other category that way. But when they are nouns, they should not have a hyphen. And there, but there is still this debate about the hyphen and whether it diminishes the ethnic group or whether it diminishes the Americanness of the right. ethnic group. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, it. You know, this is what's so you know funny in an ironic sort of way is that, you know, that these conversations that are, you know, at their core, I don't know the core, I guess surfacely, these are conversations about grammar, right? Um, these are style questions, mm-hmm. and yet their implications get us into these much deeper questions of identity and belonging, right? Um, I, I I think that the, you know, the hyphen issue is, um, again, I look at it more as a, as a, as an, uh, as a grammar issue, you know, what we're talking about, the difference between an adjective and a noun. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the idea of uh, the the actual, you know, like the term African-American, I feel, I don't think it's a problematic term at all, but I do recognize that people see it as uh, trying to make a connection to Africa, a deeper connection to Africa than is actually there for black people, for black Americans. Um, I do feel that, you know, because the term Asian American, you know, I think Asian American is the only, I mean, I just, I think that these terms are useful because we are a country of immigrants, but they do tend to um, highlight this different, this this, uh, distance from what is quote unquote a regular American. But that makes should make people think, what the heck is a regular American? Like, what is a real American? A real American is a person who comes from a native tribe that was here before any European was here, before any African was here. And and so it, the, the interrogation on these terms, you know, really should begin there. And I think that none of us are doing that job well enough in and really, when we are like, well, who is an American? Mm-hmm. I mean, the real only Americans in this country are the ones who were here first. And they didn't even call this country America. So, like, <laughs> right. just, you know, these these conversations, I think, um, are useful, but we need to go further. We need to go further in, this, in these ideas of, well, who's a real American? Because we know who a real American is. And then that's going to turn all of us upside down in terms of, uh, what 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 term are we going to claim? Which is why I like the term black because it has nothing to do with Americans. <laughs> it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't add that actual troubling element into the equation because if we're going to keep on having this conversation of what to call one another, right? Hmm. Um, we need to keep on digging back as to well, who gets to actually call themselves a true American? What does that even mean? Yeah. Okay, Lori Tharps, journalism professor at Temple University. Thanks very much for being here for this conversation. Thank you for having me. It was great.
All right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll talk with Wayne State University President M. Roy Wilson about graduation rates and preparing for the fall semester. Stay with us on Detroit Today.